Excited to be here today. Welcome. Welcome to Zion. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. I want to share some just celebrations before we move forward. Something that I've been enjoying doing. There's just, God has been doing a lot in our church, and uh, I've enjoyed just celebrating with you on a weekly basis. Our new uh, launch of Second Peter Bible studies started this past week, and I heard uh, in some of them the, the conversation and the commentary was rich, and so praise God for that. I'm really just loving seeing how many people have been getting together and digging into the Word during the week. Um, we had our, this is a really big celebration. Uh, it's, it's a week since our potluck, and we did not get kicked out. Can we get a amen for that? <laughs> Uh, praise God, we are still here. Checked in with the owner of the place. He's still happy that we're here. So I was, I was happy to hear that. Uh, but man, I had a fantastic time uh, for everybody that came out last week eating together. Uh, it's just, it's a wonderful thing to have communion with each other and in the form of sharing a meal and uh, being able to be uh, with each other in that way. Uh, the Rosso family, if you know them, Ralph and Sybil, they welcome their new child, Roman, into the world uh, this week. Praise God for that. Our newest member. My joke for our church is our, newest, our youngest member changes every other week in this church because there's always so many babies. Uh, but if you haven't seen, we have a take a meal uh, plan for them on the app. If you want to bless them with a gift card or by cooking for them, you can do that uh, by going on the app and, and clicking that link. Um, and, and that is our, my celebrations for today. And, you know, my last celebration, honestly, is getting to these verses in Habakkuk. Because since we prepared this sermon series about, I think, four months ago, five months ago, we had the outline. I said, I am taking that one. <laughs> uh, because this passage of Scripture, if any of you have read Habakkuk as we're reading through it, is just a powerful, powerful portion of scripture. We're going to talk about true faith today. Let me put on my timer or I will be here for a long time. Habakkuk chapter 3 verses 17 and 19. You have uh, the scripture with you. I'm going to start off by reading it and then we'll jump in. Verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Amen. The word of the Lord. When I was 16 years old, I wrote a list, 10 things I wanted to accomplish in 10 years. This was going to be my, kind of my goal sheet. And I made that list my background on my computer screen. I made the list in Photoshop um, and I, I plastered it because I was on my computer, you know, all, as soon as I woke up in the morning, when I got home from school, this is, I went on my computer. And I wanted it before me every single day so that I could remember and that I can work towards these goals. 
There were two things to this day that I remember being on that list. I don't remember anything else from that list, but I remember two things. One thing was that I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was 26. So that was my 10-year goal, that when I was 26, I would be a millionaire. The other goal that I had uh, was that I would no longer masturbate. That was my 10-year goal. Because at that point in my life, the shame, the guilt, and the... Um, the everyday hating myself because of it was strong. And so when I thought of what, what are the things I would like to see happen in the next 10 years, I remember those two things specifically because those two things were the driving force of my life for many years after that. When I think about the 10 years after that moment, those, were the, those two things stuck out as, as things that I constantly were, was aiming for having faith that God would provide for and believing would happen in my life. Because at that time, faith was taught to me in a way like this. It was manifesting what I wanted as a promise of God. That's how faith was taught to me. That if I had put together a list, if I prayed over that list, if I believed God, that everything would happen on that list if I believed hard enough, if I believed through every storm, if I believed no matter what it looked like around me, if I had faith that this would happen, guess what? God was sure in his promise to fulfill. This was what faith was to me growing up. That as long as I believed it, as long as it was a decent thing or at least a good thing, I can hold on to it as what? A promise of God. In one year's time, I was an atheist. By the time I turned 17, I had gone down a rabbit trail. What started that rabbit trail was this book that I read called uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill started that rabbit trail because as I read it, you know, I was serious about being a millionaire. I started reading books about how am I going to get rich. Uh, part of that was growing up in a pastor's home and like seeing struggles that my parents had. And part of that was just selfish ambition of I wanted to live a comfortable, secure, independent life. And this is what was going to get me there. And when I read that book, Napoleon Hill has chapters on different concepts of, of how basically to manifest what you desire. And one of the chapters was on the principle of faith from scriptures. And he talks about how Jesus talks about the principle of faith that if you believe something to a certain extent, it will manifest itself in the natural world. You will call it from the spiritual world to the natural world. Another book like this that I had read that was very popular at that time was The Fourth Dimension uh, by the pastor Youngie Cho, who has, and I believe had, I, I believe he's in jail now for embezzlement, uh, but he had the largest church in South Korea, a million people in their church. And um, when I read, after reading Fourth Dimension and, and, and diving deep into my goal list and I read Napoleon Hill, I thought, what is the point of being a Christian? 
Napoleon Hill was not a Christian. The, the people that he was referencing, Christianity was just one other avenue to get to where you wanted in life. But there are all these other ways and belief systems to get you to that same goal. And so 17-year-old Justin thought there is absolutely no point in, in, in working so hard and not doing so many things And, and feeling shame all the time. What is the point if I can go all these other different routes that seemed a lot happier and a lot more pleasant than going the route of Christianity? And so I decided that I was no longer going to believe in God. If I can do it anyway, then I wasn't going to do it the hard way. That was for sure. And this was Faith. This was how I was taught faith. This is many times how faith is still taught today uh, in the world that if you believe, it will happen. All you need is faith of a mustard seed and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. All right, this is just me taking scriptures out of context to put them in a way so that I can feed you something that will make you feel happy when you go home. But the one thing I know about that is you will be left empty. You will be left disappointed. And you will be left worse for wear. I'm gonna give you another scenario. The church in Rome, the early church in Rome, they were struggling because as Christianity began to spread, people were hearing rumors of Christians that they were cannibals, that they would drink blood and, and eat human flesh. And it was because of communion when Jesus said, you are going to drink my blood and eat my flesh. So the, the rumors began to spread of, of all the weird practices of this new cult religion that was spreading across the empire. And so Claudius, the emperor Claudius, actually banned Christians from being in the city in Rome and took all their property and evicted all of the Christians from the city. And so the, for several years, the Christians lost their homes. They were evicted from the city and they spread out from Rome. Several years later, that edict was rescinded. They were able to come back. But then fast forward and Nero, the emperor Nero comes into play. And Nero has one of the most cataclysmic events in Roman history, the fire of Rome. In fact, one of the most famous events in history is, is Nero fiddling his flute while Rome burns, uh, which most likely didn't happen. Uh, but it was the rumor that went around because Nero, on, in those times, to be an actor was worse than being a slave. You were the, the low of the low. And here, Nero loved to act, to perform, to, to play instruments. And so this was the, the joke on Nero that he was so terrible as an emperor that he fiddled with his flute while Rome burned. When Nero looked around the city and he thought, who can I blame for the fire? Who does everybody hate more than me? Or who is everybody, who is the bigger other than me? He found Christians. And he decided to blame the fire of Rome on the Christian weird cult religion. And so what started with Nero then became the great persecution in the church that then lasted on and off for hundreds of years until the Emperor Constantine. Nero was so disgusting in his mentality 
that at night he would have orgies and he would have these infamous parties where it'd be unlimited food, unlimited sex, all these different things. And to light the fire and give light for his orgies at night, he would burn Christians alive to provide light. And so under this deep persecution, the church of Rome was in, 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 in a crux of, of saying, we don't wanna go on anymore. Several people had already left the community of the church of Rome. And what we have in Hebrews chapter 10 is an encouragement to them. Saying, this is what God has called us to do in the midst of hardship. They were on the verge of losing their property once again. They were already hiding. They were already, many of them, being evicted, being sent away from the city, a greater persecution than Claudius, and it was just the beginning, and they knew it. And so I want to read from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 to chapter 11, verse 1. The writer says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For, and here the writer quotes Habakkuk, what we read previously, chapter two, yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What we learn here is that true faith is faithfulness to God and holding on to the assurance of eternal life. Something not yet seen. Habakkuk and Hebrews are teaching the same thing to the community here. We see the church struggling deeply with persecution. They are losing not only their property this time, but they are losing their lives because of the gospel that they believe in. And here the writer has the audacity to say, do not shrink back. Hold confidence and endure through whatever comes. And he quotes Habakkuk and he says, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. True faith is faithfulness and believing in what God has said and believing and holding on to who God is. Habakkuk and the Hebrew writer were trying to get across that the righteous live by, and this is an interesting translation. I was reading N.T. Wright, and he is one of the foremost scholars on the New Testament. And he says, many times in the New Testament, when you read the word faith, it should and actually could be translated faithfulness instead of faith. 
And so here in Habakkuk, it's, it's the same thing as here in Hebrews, that this is one of the times that faith should actually be translated faithfulness. And so if you read the NLT or some other translations, when you're reading Habakkuk chapter two, it doesn't say the righteous shall live by faith. It says the righteous shall live by faithfulness. And so the righteous live by faithfulness to God. And when times get tough, when there's persecution, when there's hardship, when our world is collapsing, when things are not going according to plan, when we look around and everything seems to fail, when times get tough, what do we do as Christians? We endure. Because that is what builds character, produces hope, and a hope that does not disappoint. And we also understand and believe that this, that God will not delay in his coming. As the Hebrew writer quotes from Habakkuk. Let me tell you, this season has been hard. One of the, in our preaching community, one of the, I was talking to one of our um, preachers this week and they were like, can we get out of Habakkuk already? It seems like God is taking us through a season of what we have been preaching on in Habakkuk. When is, when is this ending? I was like, this week, don't worry. <laughs> I believe it's just God's sovereignty and providence as we preach through things like this that we're experiencing uh, this. It has been extremely hard. I've talked a lot about how it's been hard for other people, but it's also been hard personally. I, I have read Every week, a new article comes out about why pastors are quitting. Every single week, I'm reading a new article about it. All across the country, there is a phenomenon like never before that pastors are quitting their jobs. Many times I can feel like this is just a solo thing that I'm going through, um, but it is happening all over the country. And I've seen it firsthand happen here in the city. Many uh, people that I was close with, friends of mine, have left the city, and some of them have left pastoring altogether and are extremely happy about it. Now, I'm not saying that they did not endure, but I am saying that this is a season that if God has called me to do something or us to do something, that it is a season of deeper endurance for us. Of That is what God is producing. But it has been extremely difficult. It has been a hard time. And what Habakkuk does here in chapter three, verses 17 to 19, that is so powerful, that is so amazing, is he gives the ultimate example of what it means to live faithfully to God through all seasons. See, Habakkuk is not just told by God, the righteous shall live by faithfulness, but then what we get in chapter three is we get an example of what it looks like for the faithful to live. What, what is the righteous living in faithfulness to God actually look like? What does that, what is that in, in real terms, in practical terms, tell me what that means. And so Habakkuk gives that example and I'm going to reread the passage because I want us to read it in this new light. Read with me, verse 17. And I want you to read, verse 17 is the hardship, verse 18 and the 19 is the response to it. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit on the vines, 
the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the Lord of my salvation. God, the Lord, or Yahweh, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. I'm gonna translate verse 17 for you in 2021 vernacular. <laughs> no money, no job, and everything I worked for was in vain. Everything around me is crumbling and is failing and is for nothing. In the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes, it is all vain. Everything I've sought after, everything I've toiled for, everything I've worked for, it is vanity, vanity, vanity. In Habakkuk's eyes, he sees the produce of the land. He sees the fruit of his hands, the work of his hands bearing no fruit. The, the, the olive tree, the vines, the blossoms, the fold, that was the livelihood of the people. It was nothing. Security fell through his hands like water running through them. Gone. Everything gone. Everything in shambles. Everything destroyed. As we remember, Babylonians coming to conquer the kingdom. No justice in the land and a less just people coming to conquer the land. Exile, years and years of exile ahead of them. Not being able to be home. The promises of God looking like they were nothing from beginning to end. Where are you, God? How long will this last? Everything around me has failed. Yet. Yet. My job may fire me, yet I will, he says. I may not have produce in the land, yet I will. I may not have anything in my bank account, yet I will. This may be the hardest time of my life, yet I will what? Rejoice in the Lord. See, the joy of the Lord rests on one thing and one thing alone, and that is salvation by Yahweh, by our God. And let me tell you, there is one thing that this world, there is one thing that the enemy, there is one thing that persecution, hardship, your boss, your bank account, there is one thing that none of them can take from you, and that is your salvation. See, when joy is wrapped up in your wish list and you realize life doesn't work like that, guess what? You get frustrated with God and you walk away from God, just like I did. When joy is wrapped up in anything else but the never failing salvation of God, your joy will always fail. But when your joy is wrapped up in God of your salvation, whatever comes your way, in the Roman church, it may be being burned alive so that your emperor can have a good time for the night, so that the crowds can cheer, and maybe losing your property, but yet still being part of the community and not forsaking God or his people. 
In Habakkuk's time, it may be looking at the worst empire in the world, and they are coming to bring judgment on your people by divine right. But when your salvation and your joy is wrapped up only in the strength of God, then whatever comes your way, this is what true faith is, whatever happens, what? Yet I will rejoice. That is why Paul says in Romans 5, when trials come, we can have joy in our trials. In James, and he says when hardship comes that we can have joy. What does it mean? Habakkuk is not happy here. This is a song of lament and praise to God. But there is joy that after all the pain, after all the sorrow, after the suffering, there is something that no one can take from me. My God and my salvation. This is what faithfulness is. See, the thing about our life is we choose how to respond. You know, something that I remind Levi of often is because uh, Judah, his older brother, uh, Levi, the second one, uh, Levi is constantly getting frustrated because Judah loves to provoke him. Just loves to be in charge, loves to be the older brother, loves to tell him what to do. And Levi has just had enough in his life of this. (laughs) And so whenever, you know, you ever, you have a lot of patience for people until you reach your breaking point, right? And then after the breaking point, if somebody else, you, you, you start, you stop with the niceties and you start with the screaming, the passive aggressiveness, whatever your way of being angry is. And if somebody walks into that relationship after, it may look like somebody touching your piece of paper and then you explode on them. Like, what is your problem? Like, why are you doing this again? And the other person coming in for the first time be like, man, that person really overreacted. But you don't know the history of what has been going on with how much that person has done this thing that you've told them 8,000 times not to do. And so this is where Levi is at with Judah right now. Anything that he does, there's just, he blows up and he's had enough. And if you've ever hung out with Levi, he, he doesn't have volume control, right? He, just, he has one volume and it's loud. And so something that I have to tell him often is something that my dad told me when I was younger, which is nobody can make you do anything. Your reactions are yours alone. It doesn't matter what anybody does to you. My sister's probably having PTSD right now. It doesn't matter what anybody does to you. But your reaction to that is your responsibility. And so every time he reacts to Judah, and he screams, he hits him, he throws a tantrum, whatever it is, I have to sit him down and I have to remind him, no one can make you do anything, Levi. Your response to what happens to you is yours alone. And this is what I can say to myself now in hardship, that when things are happening to me and I wanna be frustrated, I want to be bitter, and I want to give myself an excuse to binge. I want to give myself an excuse to find comfort in food. I want to give myself an excuse to sin. I want to give myself an excuse to not be in the scriptures, to not be praying. What I am doing is I am allowing my circumstances to dictate my reactions and my responsibilities in life, but 
I cannot allow outside circumstances to dictate who I am. Instead, I have control. And so as Habakkuk says, and as the writer of Hebrews says, as Paul says, as James says, in the midst of this, my response is, yet I will rejoice. Because even though someone may be able to hurt me, even though circumstances may be able to bruise me and, and pain me, they are not able to dictate me. Those are for me and for me alone. And so our response in the hard times can easily stay in anger, easily stay in complaining mode, easily stay in, you know what? Forget all this, I am walking away, it's too hard, it's too difficult. I read this morning one of the things that Jesus said to the disciples and it convicted me, he says, anyone who has to turn back after he has begun to plow is not fit for the kingdom of God. And man, that struck my heart because I thought, how many times have I turned back recently and looked and thought, man, it's so much easier over there. Let me go back to some of the old things. But then, you know what, when I think of this, I think, God, I don't have the strength, I'm tired. It's just impossible. I've, I've, I've gone to the end of my rope. You know, and many times I think that's the best place. Because in verse 19, we see there's a recognition of where our strength comes from. Habakkuk says, God, the Lord is my strength. God, the Lord is my strength. See, Habakkuk here, I'm sure he's weary. I'm sure he's tired. Nobody writes a song like this and is full of strength and full of happiness and full of vigor and ready to go out and conquer the day. When you write a song like this, you have come to the end of your rope and you are saying, God, I have nothing now. My love is but a whisper to you. But nothing is lost on him. And when we recognize, man, it's not my strength, God, but it is your strength that will carry me through this. See, God doesn't leave us to the wind and say, let's see how faithful you can be. No, he says, I will provide everything that you need. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 19, it's a verse I find in repeat in my mind. Paul says, but he said to me, this is Jesus speaking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What Paul says right before this is that there was a thorn in his side that was plaguing him. There was a hardship that would not go away. And Paul said, I prayed three times, God, take this away from me. And God did not take it away from him. And so when he went to God and he said, I am weak, God, what is going on? I cannot take this anymore. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. When you've come to the end of your rope, don't think it is the time to give up, to shy back and to throw in the towel, no. That is the time to see God's power and glory most manifested in your life. And when you go to him, you don't need to go strong. You don't need to go with all the words, but you go to him and you say, God, I'm weak and I don't know what to do. God, I'm tired and I don't know what to do. God, I've, I've done everything that I think is right. Now all I have left is you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Father. You're my last hope for strength. You're my last hope for salvation. And in those moments, it is the voice of God as it was to Habakkuk, as it is to Paul here, that will come is the spirit that will come, will comfort us. We will understand in our weakness, his power is made strong in us. That his grace is sufficient for us in everything that we need and in everything that we do. Then Habakkuk says, he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. This makes no sense to us. But what he's saying is he makes my feet sure. The deer is sure-footed. Doesn't fall. Doesn't stumble. And when the deer is on the mountain in those high places, even on the cleft of a cliff, the deer is sure-footed and will know where to go and will not stumble and fall down the mountain. So when we feel like we are in our rope, we are at the cliff, we are looking down and we are seeing just at the edge of that cliff that we are about to be a goner. We have no more hope and we are going to slip. We are going to fall. We remember that God is my strength and I will be able to walk in the path that he leads me to. For Jesus walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know what was mind-blowing about that that I heard? Was that the rod and the staff was comforting me in the valley of death, which means my shepherd was taking me through it. See, the moment it becomes about our imagination and our wish list and how well we can live up to everything that we ourselves want to be and want to do and then the expectations of the world and then the expectations of family and then the expectations of our friends, we will crumble. When faith is about how strong I can be, and about how well I can manifest the life that I've always desired for myself, we will crumble. But when faith simply becomes being faithful 
to the one who is the most faithful, we will endure. Can you stand with me and pray? Father, change our definition of faith. That it would not somehow rely on our imagination or our strength to accomplish, but it will rely solely on your grace. That, Lord, our definition of faith would not be how many presents that we can get from you, but it would change to how we can endure eternally in you. Change our definition of faith to be self-focused, to be God-focused. Holy Spirit, come.